Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Uh, my name is Robert Morrison. I am a contributor at NinerNoise.com. And here with me on this, uh, you know, rather solemn uh, Thursday evening uh, is another contributor at uh, Niner Noise, uh, Chris Wilson. Chris, Chris, how you feeling? How you, how you doing? I'm not quite as good as I was last week. I guess I was confused by the whole mini bye week versus regular bye week because <laughs> apparently we had a game this week and then we didn't win it. Yeah. So oh, Ian weird. and I don't get our t-shirts. So I'm a little bit sad. It is. It is a little sad. Yes. Um. Uh. So the uh, the quest for 19 and 0 is is sadly uh is it's over, as the uh, 49ers lost their first game of the season. Uh, they fell to the Seattle Seahawks 27-24 in an overtime thriller on Monday Night Football. The loss moves the Niners' record to 8-1. and one. Um, And perhaps more importantly, cuts the deficit in the NFC West between them and the now 8-2 and two Seahawks to just half a game. Um, so while this was a very important game in that it was you know Monday Night Football and division rival and all that kind of stuff, uh, the fact that the Seahawks are now even more nipping at the heels of the 49ers in the division makes it even worse that they sort of lot that they lost the game the way that they did. Um, the offense looked great in the first quarter. It was ten nothing at the end of the first quarter, and everything was like, "Hey, you know, I was getting that feeling like, you know, this is going really well. You know, we're gonna coast this lead. The Seahawks can't do anything with the ball. You know, Russell Wilson MVP. Who? And then all of a sudden, uh, Jimmy G gets taken down. He fumbles. Jadavian Clowney runs it in, scoop and score, and suddenly it's ten seven, and that was the halftime lead. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about what happened just before halftime to make that so in just a little bit. Uh, Seahawks scored twice, uh, two touchdowns in the third quarter, um, both on short fields after turnovers or other bad situations by the 49ers. And the 49ers, to their great credit, um, were uh, able to make their first real comeback of the season. Uh, they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter to tie the game and set it in, send it into an extra period. Um and that was a very back-and-forth affair. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, two possessions of the ball before Seattle kicked a field goal in the last, uh, like, what, 90 seconds of the game to win it. 
the defense uh, continued to play well in spite of the loss. Uh, they were in a lot of bad situations, and they made the best of it. Um, if you think about it, the Seahawks scored 27 points. Uh, seven of those came from uh, their defense. Well, you know, six of them, but seven of them came from through the defensive plays. Um, and they, you know, kicked a couple of field goals. Their offense didn't really do much except for in those short field situations. Um, and so they they really played a great game in my mind, and I think we'll talk more about that in great detail as well. Um, and uh, even though George Kittle was out and Emmanuel Sanders was, was gone for most of the game, the Niners really still had a chance to win the game. Uh, and to my mind, that's that's important. You know, the fact that they showed resiliency and uh, that, you know, they are probably a better team than the, Se- than the Seattle team. It's just a lot of things went really badly um, on Monday night, and uh, Seattle was able to, to win the game. And, of course, there's no pat on the back, you know, great job, here's a second-place trophy kind of thing in this particular situation, unfortunately. But uh, those are kind of my thoughts in a general sense. Chris, any responses to any of that at this point? sort of ended up the way that we hoped that it wouldn't end up at the end of the last <laughs> podcast with Wilson driving down the field within seven points, actually tied or, or up by a little bit. I was proud of the Niners defense for holding Wilson back so many times and then stopping the Seattle offense from putting the ball in the end zone and you know, holding to field goals. And then, then, of course, that great pick that was quite key for a couple of minutes at least by Greenlaw there near the end of regulation. It was exactly what I hoped would not happen, and it was another one of those games that Seahawks really shouldn't have won, and they did, and it's a game that they won by three in overtime against a team that didn't necessarily play better, but is a better team than them, at least when healthy. Fortnite definitely showed that they are not a complete football team, especially when they do not have their key receivers, receivers meaning wide receiver and tight end uh, on the football field, that they're just a... a a team that really cannot move the ball if you stop their running game and if their offensive line decides they don't want to block. In a lot of ways, I was proud of the way that they played, and it was it was definitely an exciting game. And I had so many people text me afterwards the next day and said, "Wow, I mean that's like one of the craziest, one of the best Monday night games I've seen in a long, long time." It was stressful for them too. I guess it was a little stressful for me, but uh, <laughs> but it was it was a game that like we were speaking about before. I'm glad I didn't go to that game <laughs> like I was supposed to because that, that would have been a nice long flight back home. For sure. Hopefully they, they will uh, learn some good things out of out of the loss. Um, as people are fond of saying, you learn more from a loss than to do from a win. Still, it would have been nice to be 9-0 and instead of 8-1 and for sure. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, go ahead and move into the one up and one down uh, for the Monday Night Football game against the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, I mean, really, God, I mean, honestly, if it had been anybody else except for Seattle, because Seattle just drives me nuts. That's just sort of random commentary to add on there. But um, because you're a 49ers fan, so that's natural. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll go ahead and get started with my up for the game. This is a little bit harder than than it has been in recent weeks. Um, I do want to uh, start off with an honorable mention a la Mr. Chris Wilson. I want to name more than one name because, you know, whatever. Hey, man, that's my thing. I, I do want to note that Debo Samuel Samuel Debo Samuel was um, quite good in the game. Uh, I believe he had uh, what eight catches, 112 yards, something like that. He did have one key drop during the game, as we'll get to in just a little bit. But overall, I, I just wanted to mention him. But it does feel wrong to give an offensive player my uh, up for the game simply because the offense was, you know, not good. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and officially grant my my up player to Jaquaski Tart. 
he was just really, really good um, in pretty much every facet of the game on Monday. Uh, he was the 49ers defensive and actually offensive overall highest graded PFF player for the for the uh, for the week. 90.8, which is an elite grade for a PFF, including an 88.5 in coverage and 76.1 against the run. But the thing that really set him apart was the strip of DK Metcalf late in the second quarter that if you look back at it really allowed the 49ers to stay in the game because if Metcalf scores a touchdown there and it's 14-10 going into the half and then the uh, Seahawks still score those additional two touchdowns and it's suddenly 28-10 in the third quarter, I, I really don't think the 49ers offense had enough on Monday night to, to come back from a from that big of a deficit. Instead, what you have is the 49ers get the ball back and yeah, they didn't really do anything with it at that particular moment, but really that, that kept them in the game and allowed them to, to, to sort of be in it, even the, even at the point where it got up to 21, 10 and you're like, Oh boy, this isn't looking good. At least at that moment, you're, you're looking at it and you're going, okay, well, this is still a game that the 49ers can, can be in at 28, 10. I'm not sure that's the case. Um, Tart played all 73 snaps for the de- for the defense. Um, and really he just was doing everything that he could to, to play well, um, in that game, and so that why that is why he is my up player for this week. I think he's quite deserving of that, and, and I'm surprised he played all 73 snaps because I know he, he got hurt at one point, but I guess he just stayed in the game. Well, maybe maybe it wasn't all 73 snaps, but he played 73 snaps, which is the which was tied for the highest on the on the team. They didn't actually show him like going off the field or anything, but I, I saw one play where he was hurt. It's, it's always what happens when the Fortnite's played the Seahawks is that half the Fortnite's are taken out via ambulance or stretcher. Yeah, it is the same number of snaps that Fred Warner, Richard Sherman, and Emmanuel Mosley played, so I'm assuming that's all the defensive snaps. Yeah, he probably just toughed it out and stuck it in there. And, and I mean, he, he had a great game that was certainly one of the most important plays of the game, and if he hadn't made that play, I agree with you that the Fortnite's would not have been able to stage the late comeback that they did in this game. I would be even sadder than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. One question I do have for you about that tart strip and fumble recovery. Mm-hmm. you have any idea why they put him on the two-yard line as opposed to in the end zone? Right, because he he took control of the ball and then technically fumbled it again into the end zone. Yeah. So that feels like it should be a touchback. And it was super weird because the official mentioned the end zone specifically and the fact that the ball went into the end zone. And then the next thing out of his mouth was, the ball will be placed at the two yard line, and I was like, "Wait, hold on a second. Where? What? Why did you even mention the end zone if it didn't have anything to do with the play?" <laughs> okay. Well, he must have missed the fact that the ball hit the ground. So Metcalf, fairly strong <laughs> from <laughs> yes from his combine numbers and and what I've heard and seeing him run over half of the Fort Niners defense takes a uh, fair amount of strength to grab that ball out of Metcalf's hands. And, and he really tugged on it. And when he pulled the ball out, it, he didn't have full control of it. He had his body over the ball, but he didn't have possession of it until it was in the end zone. Now, if he had possession of it on the two, and then he pulled the ball, and then he landed in the end zone, then you would, That's a safety, isn't it? No, then you'd push it back out to the two because his, his momentum took him into the end zone. Uh, right, which is, I think, what they were saying. I think that the official was getting a little ahead of himself there and was trying to <laughs> was explain weird. to the fans as to why the ball is on the two, but missed a very, very key part of the play. And, and that actually could have had a potential impact on the game because yeah. you know, they started on the two, they they got a quick first down, they got out to the 20 with 18 yards on the next two plays. Then they kneeled 
Then there was a kneel down after that, I believe, because it was the end of the half. Yeah. So instead of at the 20, you would have had the ball out at the 40, and then 40, and you have timeouts, and yeah. you're pushing the ball down the field as opposed to you know, kneeling on it and going into halftime and trying to regroup. So For sure. that's an unfortunate decision by the refs, but that was not their only unfortunate decision. Which is a potential topic of conversation later Ooh. in the pod. All right, Chris, um, <laughs> tell us about your up for the game, which I'm sure will follow all the rules of the one up, one down, as specified by this podcast. Going rogue last week did not work, so I'm going to go less rogue this week. I would like to save this one for like an extra down, but if we're not allowed to do that... I'm just going to give it to the remainder of the 49ers defense because the 49ers defense kept the team in the game. The offense had serious problems <laughs> multiple times in the contest, whether it be you know, turning the ball over or not being able to complete passes to wide open wide receivers when you hit them in the hands. So the 49ers defense bailed them out, and the play by Tart was one of them. Obviously, Buckner's quite exciting. <laughs> Fumble recovery. Well, actually, fumble recovery of a fumble recovery, <laughs> and then his uh, return for touchdown was also a key play. But there are a lot of players that really played good games. Um, K1 led the team with seven tackles, and yeah, I think PFF gave him three forced fumbles, although I'm pretty sure that's not true because Armstead was the one who caused the fumble maybe twice <laughs> and allowed Buckner to pick up the ball and take it back for six. Yeah. Well, it was weird because he forced the fumble away from Russell Wilson. Williams did, which led to his offensive lineman ending up with the ball. And then Armstead took it from him. So I guess they they credited that as a fumble when it went to his offensive lineman, even though it was more like a, like, here, you take it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, or it was more like the, the offensive lineman was like, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I take the ball. I was like, I feel like I can take this Ball and run backwards better than you could, Russell Wilson. So thank you for that. Checks out. I believe the official NFL statisticians gave them a combined sack on the play. So I mean, the fact that Armstead really made a lot of the play and then semi-forced the first fumble and then forced the second fumble, I feel like I would have given that to Armstead instead of Williams. And the NFL did officially end up giving Armstead the forced fumble stat, but... PFF, I guess they just like K1, so they gave him three force fumbles, which is not too bad for a slot corner. Nope. Either way, K1 did a great job, you know, leading the team with seven tackles, played a great game. Trey Greenlaw, which was one guy that I, I knew really needed to step up this week, he did. And he had a good day overall, stepping in for the injured Quan Alexander, and he had the temporary game saving interception and then nice return. Looking back, wish he could have taken it all the way, but I think he was just happy to uh, pick the ball in the first place. You know, we have E-Man, who's going up against Metcalf, who's extremely fast, extremely large, very dangerous wide receiver, and he held up very, very well. And, and I believe that uh, Ward had one of his better games as well. So overall, I just give it to the entire defense. There really wasn't anybody I can think of that didn't play well or at least play in, in a way that held the team back in any capacity can you think of anybody who didn't have the game that they should have and and, and caused them any problems or was this mostly just a an offensive failure type of game no i mean i think everybody i mean uh nick bosa was his normal disruptive self even though he didn't have any any sacks or anything during the game um 
you know, Fred Warner, I thought was, was pretty good, uh, in the middle of the field was kind of all over the place, making, uh, good plays. Um, uh, Richard Sherman, you know, held up as he often and most usually does. It, it was very clear that Russell Wilson had no interest in throwing anywhere near him most of the game. And, uh, that turned out to be pretty wise. He only gave up 27 yards on, uh, three targets, I think. Yeah. Three targets. Um, so, you know, there was a lot going on there for sure. Um, yeah, I thought everybody who was out there had, had some positive, uh, things to talk about. And, uh, it was definitely a defensive, uh, showing by the 49ers who held, you know, Russell Wilson in check as much as he can be held in check. Let's just say if they had failed as a defense, they wouldn't have been the first team to fail, uh, with him this year and they they certainly did not so i guess they did on a couple plays which is to be expected sure but otherwise did a pretty decent job of holding him in check for the vast majority of the game one defensive player ronald blair who i've been somewhat critical of in the run game it seems like he doesn't really grasp the whole concept of the wide nine but he may have made the play of his career on the play where he tore his ACL against Wilson's sacking him, which was unbelievable. It was awful. Yeah, it it was awful yet. Awful that it happened to him. It was a great play, though. Yeah. It was very Bowman-esque of him having such a bad injury, but, you know, making such a great play at the same time. Major ups to him, and and I know I have been critical of him in the run game, and he definitely showed some grit there. So big props to him, and big one up to him, and hopefully he is back with the team. Unfortunately, he's coming up on his fifth year in the league. It's a bad timing. It's a contract contract year year too, so not a not good timing at all. Yeah, so that is unfortunate for him. Yeah, as a player, as a human being, as a guy who wants to get a big contract. Hopefully, he comes back full strength, and you know, hopefully, we can um, sign him to a uh, fairly team friendly contract, if not a, a one year deal, depending on what happens with Armstead, because he seems to be Armstead's sort of replacement when Armstead's moved to the inside once DJ Jones got hurt. And, and speaking of which, uh, welcome back to the team, Demontre Moore, who was uh, signed this week as his uh, as Blair's replacement. So there we go. I think that'll be exciting. Yep. I, I'm definitely excited to see that. Uh, I, I thought that was a mistake to allow him to hit the market. It worked out. Although every other team in the NFL disagreed with me, so... <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'm wrong. Or, maybe. Or, or maybe I'll be extremely right. So Maybe. Time will tell. We'll find out here soon. All right. Um, on then we move to the down for the game because I think you and I are in agreement that we want to spend as little time talking about this as possible. But there's so much, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of negative things to talk about. Uh, so my down for the game is going to be just the concept of dropped passes. Um, so here are the target numbers versus reception numbers for the main pass catchers in the game. So this is the number of times they were thrown to and the number of times they caught the ball. Uh, so we have Debo Samuel, who had 11 targets. He caught the ball eight times. Kendrick Bourne was eight targets for four catches. Uh, Ross Dwelly, seven, seven targets, three catches. Uh, and then this trio of just uh, game changers here. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, three targets, zero catches. Kyle Juszczyk, one target, zero catches. Dante Pettis, three targets, zero catches. Um, what about uh, Richie James, that little wide receiver who... Always makes plays. I don't even know that he had any targets. Uh, well, he, he'd have to see the field on offense to, to get a target. Well, this is true. Yeah. Um, I wonder, And you got to wonder if, if uh, you know, what's going on with that. I, I guess his role is, is a 
as a return man. Because we, we don't have 18 other college way, returners. I, I, don't, I don't understand uh, that at all, especially when you got two. When you had one one player who hurt his wrist and left the game after about like 10 snaps um, and hadn't made any catches up to that point, and then Pettis, who was just kind of, I don't know what's going on with him. But um, anyway, so the drop pass situation is this. Uh, so PFF only credited the 49ers with five drops. Now, that seemed really low and very nice by my uh, sort of unofficial count during the game, which I thought the number was more like eight or nine drops during the course of the game where the ball like hit the receiver in the hands. Whether or not the ball was quote-unquote catchable or not is another thing altogether. Um, so PFF's numbers came out like this. One by by Debo Samuel, which I alluded to earlier. Uh, two by Kendrick Bourne. Uh, one of which was the interception, which interestingly enough uh, was credited to Bourne himself. I didn't even know you could do that, but they, but PFF credited the interception to to Bourne. Yeah, because it was so, so absurd. That, yes, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy. Uh, and then Goodwin and Juice each had each had drops. Now theirs were a little less egregious, especially Usechek's, who when he because he got sort of nailed in the back uh, by a helmet, if I'm not mistaken, on his catch. And and both those balls were a little bit more difficult but still catches still catches that needed to be made nonetheless by professional football players uh they did not give dante pettis a drop even though there were certainly one or two situations that could have been for one the uh ball that was thrown to the sideline i think it was like in the second quarter where he had the ball in his hands he had the ball in his hands he had the ball in his hands and then and then he did not catch it uh certainly could have gotten his one um and you were talking about uh one earlier that hit him in the hands that he dropped i don't remember that play but uh I... that was on the uh the final extremely extremely long 25 second drive <laughs> where grappler yeah. tried to hit him on a slant on second down and he heard the footsteps and as he does he just yeah comparing that drop to juice's drop when juice is like 25 yards down the seam changing directions yeah trying to catch a ball it's behind him diving getting hit by a safety that's not a drop. Yeah, yeah. But especially by a fullback. I mean, it, it is a poorly run route, but it's not a drop. Right. Pettis is too... I, I mean, Pettis is you know, the second one that I was alluding to. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no question that that's a drop. I, yeah. I don't understand how... They must not have been watching the play. Yeah, I don't know. The other one, I guess I guess it's subjective, but you're a wide receiver and you have ball. It hits you in the hands, yep. and then you, you dro- drop it near the sideline because the guy hits you. It's a drop. Catch the football. Whereas in the past, PFF has not been so kind, especially to some of our defenders, but uh, they were quite kind to our, our wide receivers. Yeah, that was really nice. I don't know if it's a anti-Garoppolo thing or what. I don't know. So I think the, the major issue here, speaking of Garoppolo, is that this is just, like, if he can't trust anybody outside of Kittle or Sanders, and Kittle or Sanders are not there, which they were, which neither of them were. Um, I think Sanders played 20-something snaps on on Monday. Uh, before he went out with his injury and Kittle wasn't there at all, although he was quite entertaining um, <laughs> in the in the uh, booth up there during the game when they kept showing him on the broadcast. I thought that was pretty funny. He was, you know, <laughs> George Kittle is all of us moment uh, throughout the the uh, the telecast. That was great. Um, but if he can only trust those two guys and his the third guy that we know that he trusts, which is Trent Taylor, who has not played a game with him uh, since the 2017 season. Uh, it's going to be really, it's going to be really problematic, uh, for this season. Um, and it's going to, it's going to put the skids on what has been a really promising season so far, a la, uh, what was it? The 2012, uh, season where they were trotting out like 
five undrafted free agents at uh like Brett Swain and and names like that that were playing in the in the uh in the uh playoff game against the Don't be knocking him <laughs> against the Giants and we're like why aren't we winning this game? Oh, it's because we literally have no receivers. Uh and so that's my worry. Um now Debo is showing some effectiveness as a receiver and he's probably our third most effective receiver at this point, but he also leads the team in drops on the season so far this year. Um, and he's, so he's not consistent and he's also a rookie. I mean, what do you expect from him at this point? Uh, it, it, somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to be doing something else. Um, you know, if Kittle and Sanders are there and they play the rest of the year and they are, uh, the sort of, uh, security blankets for Garoppolo for the rest of the year. Great. But there's got to be a third option. There just has to be. It can't. It can't just be like this. This is not 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 acceptable at all. I think we're getting what we expected from Samuel. Maybe even more. Oh, absolutely. I'm not sure if you saw my accidentally premature tweet during the game about the wideouts. Essentially saying, who are the 49ers' reasonable receivers at this point in this game? Number one, Samuel. Number two, Bourne. Number three, nobody. Like we just don't have anybody, and then Bourne, of course, just knocks the ball yeah. into the air for an easy interception and does it again. So then I think I, I just removed him and they just made it Samuel. <laughs> so now we're back to hashtag free Richie James. Like, why is he not on the field? Like, what what does he have to do? Yeah, I don't know. Is he going to catch the the balls that Pettis drops? I don't know, but he's going to try a lot harder. That, I can guarantee that. And then where's Goodwin? Like, what happened to Goodwin? Uh, he hurt his wrist. I know at some point in the game like early on yeah and so i think that's what happened initially what happened after that i do not know and that question isn't specific to monday night or whatever day you're alleging we played a game and lost (laughs) i still don't really buy it it's really intended to be a lot more broad than that just going back to his huge breakout season in 2017 where he was looking like a 1a and his following season was very troubling to him and you know from a personal standpoint and he's still dealing with some of that stuff now so i'm not judging in any capacity but it looked like he was going to turn into a legitimate 1a to be receiver sort of similar to i mean not similar in style but but similar in caliber to a guy like emmanuel sanders if you have a guy like that and then you have sanders then you have samuel and then you have kittle and suddenly you have a really explosive offense or you have samuel and born just batting the ball up in the air and then i mean no, nobody's scared of dwelly so not not to insult him but basically n- nobody's worried about him so just stack the box so, because you know if he catches the ball that one of their linebackers right, right, right. can just run him down so you don't have good one in there juice definitely did not play his finest game he quote-unquote dropped his lone uh target and then did not fare very well in the run game even though it wasn't necessarily his fault and then Pettis did absolutely nothing. I do not know what's going on with him because he was supposed to be the guy this year after he just really blew up in the second half of last season. And it's it's not like he lose that. So I mean, there's no injuries I've heard of. I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, but he is in the doghouse. That is, that is for sure. Shanahan does not hold back any punches in his press conference about Pettis earlier this week. And if... Pettis doesn't improve. I don't know how long he's going to be on this team. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, Chris, uh, go ahead and walk us through uh, your downs for the week. You got like two minutes. Go. Okay. But before you actually set the timer on my <laughs> downs, I was speaking with a, a contact I have over at uh, Zebra Technologies. They do the uh, next gen stats for uh, NFL. And my, my guy over there told me that Garoppolo was three for 18 for 59 yards and a pick on balls that traveled over 10 yards through the air. So three for 18, 59 yards in a pick. And a lot of that wasn't his fault. I mean, a lot of that was fault of the offensive line. Guess what? That's coming soon. His average completed pass was 3.6 air yards. And he wasn't even throwing to his running backs. Huh. It's a situation where we need receivers who can catch the ball downfield. And Samuel's not really that kind of guy right now. Goodwin's obviously that kind of guy. Pettis can be that kind of guy. You know, Sanders can be that kind of guy. Obviously, you know, Kittle can do anything and everything he wants whenever he wants to maybe even in his walking boot which is probably why they had him up you know in the uh in the press box as opposed to on the field because he would have taken it off and thrown himself in the game maybe grabbed Dwelly's jersey and going there as number 82 they have to do something about this wide receiving core and i know they tried to but you know they can't be one injury away from having nobody to throw the ball to so enough about that so my downs all right i got three go Chase McLaughlin, yes, which, which I believe is the way that, that it is pronounced. Yes, and actually look, look, looked up the way to pronounce that last name. There are a lot of ways to pronounce it. But <laughs> back in his college days, uh, you know, I watched some of the uh, film there, and that's the way they pronounce it. So that's the way I'm, I'm going to pronounce it. Not going to give it to him. I don't think it's his fault. I mean, he made three or four. They put him in a very, very difficult situation. You know, Booger said all oh, the pressure was too much for him, but I don't really necessarily think that's the case. I just don't think that he's really a NFL caliber field goal kicker at this point in his career. And pressure is a lot of it, but sometimes it takes a little bit of experience and you bang in a few of those to gain the confidence to, you know, to become a Robbie gold up until this year. So I'm not gonna give it to him, but I am going to give it to one, the offensive line. We had our two starting tackles. We're supposed to be two of the better players on our offense come back from injury and neither could protect Garoppolo in the passing game. He's sacked five times. Clowney just absolutely owned Staley on multiple plays. Staley just shouldn't have been in that game. Clowney is not that much better than Staley is if Staley is at full force. And he missed a couple weeks, and I know that he had the um, potentially now maybe confirmed some type of fractured finger at some point in the game. Some of these plays, I'm just like, wow. You'll you'll see a, a play or two like that from Staley over the course of a season, but like in a game, I didn't want to take him out and put in one of the backups, but if it wasn't Staley and I was the head coach, I might have because it was not his best game. And, you know, McGlinchey sort of followed suit there. So I guess he, you know, McGlinchey will just do whatever Staley does. So Staley's horrible and McGlinchey should be horrible on the other side. And then the interior linemen, they're actually fairly decent at protecting Garoppolo on the inside, but they couldn't block for the running backs who averaged 3.2 yards a carry you know like i said after speaking with my guy over at uh, zebra technologies it's like if you can't block for garoppolo long enough for him to throw the ball downfield then you're not going to be completing a lot of passes <laughs> and then when he <laughs> he does throw balls downfield and born does what he does sometimes and just knocks the ball in the air just for anybody to catch the ball i mean you're going to come back with a horrible quarterback rating you know, one thing about Bourne is I, I wish he would just do one or the other. If he would just 
always be like that, so they could just get rid of him, then then that'd be fine. Problem is that he will then come back and make great plays. Like I mean, he was playing great in the first quarter, and then he just like totally falls apart. And he was doing the same thing in the preseason. It's just like make up your mind if you're going to be a good football player or not. He's been playing in the league for a couple of years, and he's had a lot of experience. He you know led the team in uh, receiving yards last year, so. He's coming to he's coming to a fork in the road, I would believe, this upcoming season, and he's got to step it up this year if he wants to make the team next year. Because the way he's playing right now is not the way that a potential like a number two at times receiver should be playing on, on a team that's you know planning on going deep into the playoffs, what eighteen and one or whatever, nineteen and no. <laughs> so that's number one. And looking at the clock, I was actually able to convey the complex concept that our offensive line can't block in under two minutes before going on my born tangent and ruining it but we are making progress it's all about baby steps baby <laughs> quick plug here my born tangent in theaters early 2020 matt damon check it out you're not gonna want to miss it all right back to the podcast before you kill me number two the officiating and excuse my language but oh my goodness <laughs> so I, apparently there was no holding in in this game it was a, f- a no holding free-for-all you could just tackle people except if you're born it's great he can't hold <laughs> is the only that was the only holding call in the game or offensive holding call in the entire game was on born no i think it was the only holding call period i think they called defensive pass interference a couple times but there was no holding at all you and i were going back and forth there's there one specific play i believe it was on um ford where they had I'm not sure if it was the right tackle and the right guard or the right tackle and, and a tight end. And and they were just like bear hugging him. Do they think that it's just like if, if you hold with two people, it like cancels it out or something? Like, like I mean, like you can't do that. I don't know what the refs were, were watching, but they were not watching the offensive line and what they were doing to some of the 49er pass rushers because they would have had a lot more opportunities to, to get Wilson if they were allowed to attack him in the way that the rules of the NFL allow them to, but the refs just weren't having any of it. At the end of the game, Wilson scramble. The Niners bring a slow-developing six-man rush, including a stunt, in front of two-man in the secondary. Definitely not the smartest call against a mobile quarterback like Wilson on third and three, but I'll save my criticism for Sala for pretty much every other podcast. Armstead sees that he's going to be able to at least get a hand on Wilson, so he vacates his rushing lane. But the right tackle just grabs him by the nine and the one and pulls him into the pocket so Wilson can escape to the right side. So Ford, who originally cut inside on the stunt, sees Wilson about to scramble. But as soon as Ford makes a move toward the quarterback, the right guard just puts his arms around him and won't let go. I think to the ground, if if I'm not mistaken. Actually, I think that was a different obvious hold that the refs missed, but it was like, Saving Private Ryan out there is crazy. We got to the point where Buckner was trying to run after Wilson and like had to grab his own player and pull him away from the guy who was holding him just to so just run after Wilson. What are the refs looking at? And along with that, if that's the way that it's going to be, then 49ers, why aren't you taking advantage of this? Staley, I bet you can hold. I mean, I've seen you do it before. Tomlinson, I know you can hold. So hold. <laughs> I mean, if they're going to allow you to hold, then hold and, and 
don't allow your quarterback to get sacked five times. Yeah, with our luck, they would have called it on us, though. At least push it. <laughs> you know, I mean, if if they if they decide before the game that you know we're going to be a little bit lax on the holding calls this game, and only one team is taking advantage of it, that's a problem. Because I, I didn't see a lot of 49er holds that were missed, and perhaps not looking quite as hard as I was, you know, <laughs> to be honest. But at, at the same time, there's so many obvious holding calls, and you lose the game. You know, and the refs are always on the other team's side. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know such a victim over here but but i mean it really was bad and along with that when mostert has an easy first down and like lands beyond the first down marker and the side judge comes down beyond the first down marker to mark it as a first down and then the other guy's like nah i I don't think so yeah and then we're just gonna mark a yard short forcing a review by the niners which the officials miss again which brings us to the kick i don't really know it McLaughlin looks like but it's possible that they just took a drunk fan out of the stands you know like for like one of those NBA like oh shoot it at half court and make like a million dollars and hey dude put on this jersey and try to kick this 47 yard field goal and if you do you'll you'll win a million dollars and if you don't then you'll kick it just like that so (laughs) it was unfortunate that they missed that so obvious call and then they tried to review it I guess, and then missed it again. So they, they right, got because they couldn't see because they couldn't see anything because you can't because you lose the ball when players go into piles like that. This is the way it yeah, works. Yeah, I understand that it's hard despite the chip in the ball in the first time marker. And I know it needs to be a hundred percent or whatever they set the alleged burden of proof at indisputable, indisputable evidence or something like that. Yeah, who, who knows what that is? <laughs> I mean, this crew couldn't even get the overtime coin toss right. So maybe we need a replay on that. But I'm not even going to go down that path because I'm pretty sure I'm well beyond my complaint time allotment. So on to number three, the grand finale. Clock management. So what is clock management? Shanahan doesn't know. And obviously I'm just kidding around. Shanahan does know what clock management is. He's just not good at it. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit, knowing Shanny, if you told me he spends countless nights just trying to improve the lost art of clock management or the yet-to-be-discovered art of clock management. But so far in his head coaching career, when the time's running down at the end of the half or end of the game or this time at the end of overtime and the pressure's on, the clock just seems to be an afterthought in Shanahan's mind. Across the NFL and all levels of football, in no way is this a rare thing. Some of the best coaches in the NFL are absolutely terrible clock managers. I mean, just look at Andy Reid, one of the best offensive minds in the game. He has a top 10 offense more often than he doesn't. And this is a guy who can take Alex Smith, our favorite checkdown king, and turn him into like a Pro Bowl candidate. The guy basically patented the third down checkdown so bad that football outsiders named their checkdown metric stat after him. Then Reed gets a hold of him, and the guy's passing for 4,000 yards. And still, yet after 20-some years of coaching, Reed still can't clock manage his way out of a paperback. So I get it. It's a difficult thing to do. Surprisingly difficult, but it's a difficult thing for an offensive coordinator slash head coach to do. And even more so for a guy who's only been doing it for two and a half years. But it's a skill that you 
don't necessarily need to master, but you need to be proficient enough at it so that you're not losing football games because of it. So segue back to this alleged football game that you say was played on Monday night. Obviously, there are thousands, maybe more, <laughs> of variables that went into determining the outcome of the, the alleged football game. And I'm not saying that good clock management would have won the game for the 49ers, but at the end of overtime, the 49ers would not have lost this game if Shanahan had properly managed the clock. Let's quickly break down the final minutes of overtime. We have a drunk fan in a number five jersey shank the field goal try into the stands, but the 49ers defense steps up once again, and the Niners get the ball back. They have it on their 20-yard line with 150 left and one timeout. Seattle, out of timeouts. So the 49ers can end the game if they want to. Not that they would, but they, they could if they wished to. So what is Shanahan's thought process? Or at least a version of Shanahan who is taking the clock into proper consideration. You never want to play, quote-unquote, not to lose. But you also have to take your team's record and the standings, and the division, and the conference into account. So a tie, while it's certainly not what you're playing for, is not the worst thing in the world. Because you're not losing ground. And it still keeps your team in the driver's seat in the playoff race. So priority number one really needs to be keeping your offense on the field and Wilson off the field until either the Niners score or the clock hits zero. So you want to move the ball and you need to keep the clock running. And how do you do that? Well, Shani's two favorite things to do are A, run the ball no matter the situation, the down of the score, and B, throw quick screens that are basically extended run plays. Either way, you're keeping the clock running. And of course, there are lots of other high percentage throws that you can call that would keep the clock moving and are more likely to keep the ball moving as well. So what do the 49ers do? Three incomplete passes, punt back to Seattle. Six plays later, the 49ers lose the game. San Francisco's final drive took a grand total of 25 seconds. And the only reason that it took that long is Grappolo's pass on third and 10 traveled 45 yards through the air. So not that I'm bitter in the slightest, but I did a little bit of research on Shanahan's anti-game ending drive. So not only was this the shortest three and out of the season for the 49ers, it was the shortest of Shanahan's three years as a head coach of the 49ers. And it came at the absolute worst possible time. Frustrating? Absolutely. But you know me. Rainbows, unicorns, my middle name. Or middle names or whatever. And as you also know, along with being a very strict follower of all rules, I am all about making lemonade from lemons. So I'm going to end this down segment on a high note. San Francisco is a playoff caliber team with an 8-1 and record atop the NFC, and they control their own destiny. So the playoffs could run through Levi's Stadium this season. Meanwhile, the 49ers have areas where they can easily improve. And those areas are very easy to identify. And like you said, that Brita said, the San Francisco 49ers have not played their best football up to 2019. So since we're well past our one day of mourning, 
let's never talk about this game ever again, or at least not until we play them again in week 17. Instead, let's talk about what you've been waiting to talk about for the last 10 to maybe 30 minutes. And that is our final segment of the day, beating the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday, preferably by more than three points. So have at it. All right. Um, our next game is on Sunday against the Cardinals, and we talked about them like a week ago. Uh, so we don't have much else to say. Um other than I think that this uh, Monday night game made me less nervous about going up against Kyler and Kenyon Drake again, because I think the, the the Niners settled their defensive issues down uh, in, in that way. So um, I'm going to skip right to predictions, um, and I have decided that there are no rules. Uh, I think this is a really important game. I don't think the Niners can afford to lose this this one only because it's a division game, um, and they can't afford to go 2-2 two and two, uh, in the division uh, at this particular point because the Seahawks are 3-0, and and that's not a good thing. Provided that Kittle and Sanders are good to go, I think this is a bounce-back opportunity for the for the team. If not, I, I don't know, all bets are off at that particular point. Uh, but if they are closer to full strength, even if it's just Sanders, uh, I think that will help a lot. If it's Sanders and Kittle, then I think the, the Niners are going to put a pounding on Arizona at home. So I'm going to go 34-13 uh, 49ers uh, to win this game. I definitely like that. I I would really like it if Kittle is able to play this game, even though Shanahan's not sure if he is or he isn't, or if he said that he was. He's out. He's not out. Yeah. He's in. He's out. He's in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was quite an interesting statement by him. And then some type of redaction. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for them to tell the other team that the guy's going to be out when he's doubtful. So I don't know why you would do that in the first place, but it sort of leads me to believe that he's not going to play, which would be unfortunate because they need him pretty badly, as was on full display. So on to predictions. This line opened at 49ers by two touchdowns. I'm not really quite sure about that. Not surprisingly, all of the bets came in on Arizona, and it's moved it down to 10.5, which is still a little bit much. Yeah. I mean, a touchdown and a field goal plus is, is a lot. I mean, it should be somewhere between a touchdown and a touchdown and a field goal. So it should be like 9.5 would be where I would expect this, this, this game to end up from a line standpoint. Because that's just a lot of points to give a team after they just lost and then you just played them two weeks ago. Over-unders moved from 44 to 45. So they're predicting a 28 to, right? Is that math right? I don't do math. <laughs> 20 to 17, 11 points. Jeez. Not even that, like, that late. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so 20 to 17. Um, quick math there. Nicely done. Max is fifth grade math. He sure is. It's either shun me or turning over in a script right now <laughs> so, so uh i think they are going to beat them by more than that because i am faithful hashtag <laughs> i think this will be a 31 to 21 game because arizona loves scoring 21 points and i have arizona's kicker in like every one of my fantasy leagues so he'll give me three points that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah four touchdowns by the the niners they push a little more in the red zone knowing that their kicker could kick it into the stand to the sideline <laughs> or backwards and then they give them like a, you know, a short field goal to boost the confidence in case gold doesn't uh doesn't start so, yeah 31 to 21 there you go two scores just like yeah. i did two weeks ago so i'm gonna go with a 31 21 10.49er victory sounds good 
All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for listening to the Niner Noise podcast, uh, part of the Fan-Sided Podcast Network. Uh, please uh, continue to check us out on your favorite podcasting platform, be that uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, etc., etc. Uh, and, of course, we would appreciate if you would leave us a nice five-star review and share the podcast with all your 49er fan friends. Let's uh, move on from this loss, and let's uh, get on another winning streak. And until then, we will see you next week, Niner fans. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.